Welcome, good people. It is so good to be back. We are well into 2021 now. Um, it's the first day of March as I'm recording this intro. And I'm excited for what the podcast has to hold this year. Been a little bit uh, slow on the uptake, but uh, I've got a couple of episodes coming up, including this one with my wife, Angela Nixon, um, in which we will explore the themes of, as you can imagine, marriage, parenting, and vocation. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting tidbits in here. You get a little glimpse into how we've done relationship and how some of the themes from our own marriage and relationship um, may be at play for others as well. So hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, and it pairs nicely with the next episode, which is um, actually an episode with some marriage and couples therapists, um, Stephen and Aaron Mitchell. They own a practice that specializes in helping couples create their own couple story and identify what the stories are that they're already telling themselves that may be problematic and how to begin exploring those with depth and intentionality in order to begin writing a new story for what the future can look like in a relationship. So really excited. Before I jump into the episode here with Angela, I wanted to, I guess, plug a program that I teach in for therapists. It's called the Relationally Focused Psychodynamic Therapy Program. And this program is a continuing ed program designed to help therapists deepen the work that they're doing. It is deeply rooted in relational psychoanalysis, um, neuroscience, and really just based on the research in the field that shows that regardless of what type of therapy somebody practices, it's actually the relationship between the client and the therapist that determines the outcome. And so this program was developed to really help therapists jump into that relational space, not just have the relationship as sort of this secondary element that helps whatever treatment modality you're using work better, but rather says that if transformation and change are a result of the relationship, how do we actually work in the relationship with our clients when they're sitting with us? And so um, we're a couple years deep into this program and we are looking to fill up the cohort for this coming fall. Um, spaces are limited to 12, and I think there are maybe about six openings left. So if you're interested in something like that and you are a therapist, um, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Um, or you can check out the link that I will put in the show notes later. So um, anyways... Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with the one and only Angela Nixon. You're listening to Why in the World, a podcast featuring deep dive conversations into meaning, purpose, and why we show up in the world the way that we do. I'm your host, psychotherapist Brian Nixon. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, this is the episode that you've all been waiting for, even though you didn't know you were waiting for it. Today, I'm here with the one and only Angela Nixon, who I am also privileged to be married to. So, Angela, welcome. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we've talked about doing a podcast episode together probably since before I started the podcast and now we're finally making it happen so he's being really generous because really what's been happening for months ever since he started was I said when are you gonna have me on <laughs> I think it'd be really fun is it my turn is it my turn so that's really how it happened <laughs> well, it is your turn and I'm, I'm happy that it's your turn so me too so you know we could talk about all kinds of things we've been married for almost 14 years we met in grad school um, yeah, there's so, so many places my mind goes and, and paths it wanders down. Um, 
but where I'm curious, like, where do you want to jump in? This is, you're the guest, so. Pass the ball. Yeah, I'm going to punt. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that having been married for 14 years and sharing a similar perspective on the world and the work that we aim to do in the world is, um, could make for a really interesting conversation. I know that you're one of my most favorite people to talk to, and I learn a lot from you, and I also feel that you're receptive to learning from me, and it's it's good rhythm and good connection, so yeah, I don't really know where to start, but. You've definitely been one of my best teachers in life in terms of just the constant flow of being me and evolving and changing and shifting um, you've had a major impact in that in so many, so many wonderful ways. Um, I'm thinking back to Seattle when we first met and when we decided to first start dating. And I think you probably know where I'm going with this. Mm. But we went for a walk around Green Lake and had a great conversation. It takes about, I don't know, like an hour, hour and a half to walk around Green Lake. And then we sat down on a bench and we're both like new grad school students in a master's in counseling program and probably knew just enough to be dangerous. But I remember our conversation was something about how it's probably our pathologies that are drawing us together. And just thinking how funny that is to, to think about now and in, in some ways how true it has been. And yet that wasn't just pathology or um, past wounding it was you know something else trying to unfold and and come into being as well so i just remember that funny story of sitting there chatting with you about that i over the years when people have asked us like oh how did you meet it it's often the story that we tell it's just oh well, we met in grad school and we we're doing all this deep work looking at how we came to be the person that we were at the time and um, we were like, it's basically our pathologies that brought us together. And we thought we were being really smart, really brilliant <laughs> and really honest. And most people were just like, what? Uh, and looking back now and thinking about how I view just the term pathology, I think it, it was kind of funny. It did feel like, you know, someone who just got this new information and they couldn't wait to share it. Mm -hmm. But maybe the, the context wasn't quite... <laughs> what we thought it was or it should have been. But it's true. We've, over the last year specifically, I think we've talked about how, like, important it is to sort of reframe that. Like, instead of it being the parts of us that are broken, um, the patterns that aren't serving us well, the wounds that we have that then essentially dictated the decisions that we were making, um, instead that there's this um, belief that we both share that the unconscious part of us keeps bringing these things up and connecting us with the right people or the right opportunities, the right situations to then be able to work through them and ultimately to heal and mm. be more full, vibrant, honest versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it just it feels like what a reminder that it's always a choice mm. because like those re repetitions and patterns come up and in the moment it doesn't feel like this is an opportunity to grow like what can I learn from this it's more like why are you attacking me yeah. and, oh you mean relationally yeah like how it plays out like I think you're right on in terms of what's actually happening psychologically or emotionally or spiritually but in terms of how it feels and has felt to be us at different times like it's it's not that polished no <laughs> yeah no I think I was thinking specifically of just how the two of us sort of found that that connection mm -hmm. and then once that connection was made and then our relationship got deeper and we thought we knew each other and knew ourselves so well <laughs> and then those first few years of marriage were painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think it was the fairy tale that uh, these relatively um, overly confident grad students expected. No. So. Yeah, that it's like I don't know the first 
few years at least of any relationship, particularly ours, we're probably more in relationship with our own projections and stuff like that than we are the other. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's in some ways uh, normal pains like of being in relationship and anytime you're developing intimacy, there's conflict and it's always the choice of what will we do with conflict. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we've made good choices with that that have been helpful and other times we've made choices that you know leave us wondering what the heck we're doing and Mm -hmm. um, but like in the long run like hindsight 2020 with 14 years now and hopefully a lot more to go it's like we've continued to choose to stay in this and and that's that choice even though in the moment you can't necessarily see the fruit of it like that choice I feel like has has been one of the most profound life-changing gifts of my life like a that you've chosen to stay and that I've chosen to stay and that we've both chosen to be in this over and over and over over and over yeah that yeah absolutely I mean I think I learned um I wish I had a piece of paper and pen because you say things and I'm like, oh, I, and then I can't keep track of it. It's fine. Um, but it was just looking around, just thinking about it. I, I think, you know, early on, yeah, we, I think it was you who said for the first year of marriage, like, or dating or whatever, that you're in a relationship with someone, you're really just projecting all of your own past relationships onto this particular person. So whether it's a parent relationship or, previous dating partners or whatever that for a while you can't really see clearly because all you can see is the history of your own experiences and then therefore the expectation of that to be repeated again Mm -hmm. um, which can be positive or negative right like sometimes you might step into a relationship with rose-colored glasses on because you really think that it's going to be better than it is or vice versa it's it's not as good as you think it might be from the beginning Um, and I think no matter what like no matter what wisdom or education or what that you bring into a relationship or a marriage, there's more there than what you see in the beginning. And so when you're peeling back those layers and you're sort of sharpening, like you said before, like that bumping up against each other isn't always comfortable. No, it's, it's brutal, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, that kind of deep level of having to face yourself and take responsibility for how you're impacting another person can be painful. But if you, make the decision over and over and over again to stay. Um, I remember early on one of my like mantras was, what do I believe to be true? Mm. Because sometimes my reactions or my responses were based off of pain Mm -hmm. from the past. And so it's, what do I believe to be true about Brian in this moment? Like I might be so mad and (laughs) I might have walked out the door slamming it behind me but no. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, I had to ask myself, like, but what is true of him? Like, not what's my fear, not what am I afraid is going to happen in the future, but what do I know is true? Mm-hmm. And usually that was a helpful avenue to get me back. Yeah, that's, that's a, such a thing, like, what's the story I'm telling myself? And and we don't always know, right? Like, I think that's the the thing. Like, staying in it is is so difficult because there's like there could be all kinds of stories going on about what we think the other is doing, what their intentions are. Um, and I think that's another lesson that I've certainly had to learn over the course of our marriage is just the difference between like intentions and impact. You know, I would say early on in our relationship. I I spent a lot more time defending my intentions rather than acknowledging the impact. Mm -hmm. Like if, if something happened, some sort of conflict between us that I didn't intend, like my intentions were something else, but it's whatever it was like was hurtful to you. Um, it took me a while, I think, to be able to own like, Oh, you're hurt. And I did that even though I didn't intend it, like the intention doesn't matter because you're, you know, you're wounded now because of something I did. And so intentions and impact, like I can tell myself an intention story and then that's going to impact how I relate to you. Um, but being able to shift the inner 
narrative a little bit to, like you said, what's actually true about Angela and how do I, how do I want to think about this? And um, can I look at the impact I had and still hold on to some sense of like, and I'm a good human? Because mm-hmm. I think when, you know, young, younger me would have felt more like, well, if I do something bad and so she gets hurt, then I'm a bad person. And, and that was just too much like cognitive dissonance of, to be able to say like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry that you're hurting and I did that. And learning to trust me enough that, yeah, I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a big one. I still love you and I'll still stay. Like me getting hurt or you messing up isn't the end of the story. Mm-hmm. It's just a moment in time. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I think you're touching on where past, present, and future are always interacting because, you know, past story would be like, be good, don't get in trouble, be the peacemaker, you know, make sure everybody else is okay all the time, and and then you're good. And so the idea of, you know, A, that I would even be capable of hurting hurting you was like, oh, that's awful to even think about because, you know, just the stories you tell yourself. And, um, but to, to be able to see like my past wounding is around like, don't, don't rock the apple cart. Cause if you do, there may be nothing left for you. And mm-hmm. so, you know, coming into relationship, there's a sense of like, don't rock the apple cart. Like that tape is still playing in the mm-hmm. background. Um, but realizing like, if we're going to be in relationship, this apple cart's going to rock, mm-hmm. like it's going to happen. And so how do we create a different narrative around what it means and to really live into that and feel it differently over time, slowly it, mm-hmm. it gets integrated differently that like, just cause there's conflict doesn't mean that the relationship's falling apart. It just means that it's a relationship. Yeah. And kind of coming back to a conversation that we had yesterday of just, our different personalities and the way that we're wired and the way that we view the world. And like, I actually don't mind conflict. Like I need you to bump up against me. I need you to hold your boundary. I need to hear no, like I need to have that like friction that helps me feel you like to be able to really locate where you are. Um, which is in fact makes me feel safer Mm. Um, then so if funny you, how it plays off. Each I other. know because we're so different, and I think it's taken us years to sort of learn enough about our own selves, and then to have space to hold on to ourselves, and to still have space to look at the other person and go, "Oh, okay." Like I didn't realize that you don't actually like see the world the way that I do. Like you don't even feel the world the way that I mm-hmm. do. Um, which can I, I'm going to mention the five personality patterns book, uh, Stephen Kessler. It's a phenomenal book about what people do when they don't feel safe. Um, and he breaks it down into five different personality patterns that people tend to fall into in order to help make themselves feel safe. And I was reading through that book and it's the chapter of the enduring chapter. So the enduring pattern, um, can you go like just list them off? off? Sure. So there's leaving, which means, and when you're not feeling safe, your energy kind of just goes up and out of the body. Um, merging is where you're looking for someone else or something else to kind of fill you to connect with. Um, enduring energy just goes like down into the earth. Like you kind of just hunker down, hunker down. Yep. And then, um, the aggressive pattern, which is just like energy just coming out in all directions. Like a bull in a china shop. Mm-hmm. And then the rigid pattern, which is that like get it right. See the world often pretty black and white, that there's a one right way. And you'll do anything necessary to follow that right path. Mm. Um, and my first time reading through that book, I, I mean, I've kind of read quickly through the first two, not recognizing myself even in the first one, which is completely me. Um, I run leaving and aggressive. And then I got to the enduring chapter and I wept. Like Mm. I had so much emotional response. And I think it really was the first time that I had a glimpse of what it is to be you in this world. Mm. 
And what did you see? Um, I think I was grieved by the ultimate, like the original wound, like what he would call sort of the wounding of the enduring pattern, um, which I'm trying to remember specifically how he words it. Do you remember? I'm trying to I mean, because it's clashing against like the Enneagram nine of like, my needs don't matter. Yeah. Right. So there's, it's, it's, um, I don't, I actually don't remember what the core wounding was. Yeah. Like, um, anyway, read the book guys. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Um, it's something to do with not remembering what your core wounds are. (laughs) Being forgetful. Uh, But I, I learned so much and was able, even able to put into practice like certain things around like the way that I process and how I'm like, I have a strong emotion. I want to work it out right now. And I kind of want you to match my strong emotion. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you trying to destroy the relationship? (laughs) And and realizing like you need space. Like sometimes you, you just really need space or even how like our whole relationship that we have the best, deepest conversations on road trips in the car. Mm -hmm. And in the book, he points out how to talk to someone and, running an enduring pattern is sometimes you don't even like look straight on like Mm. just both of you walking side by side facing the same direction and it was really eye-opening because i i mean i didn't even think of it i'm like i don't i thought that if you didn't see the world the way that that i did then it was my job to help you see it that way (laughs) (laughs) get on board which i know sounds absurd and totally self-centered but it you know like i just thought oh, well, he needs my help to be, right, like all the things, like more efficient, to move mm. more quickly, to get things going, to follow through. And there been many times where you've just looked at me super serious, eyebrows slightly raised, and said, Angela, I'm whatever how your age, like whatever age you are at the time. <laughs> I'm, you know, 40 years old, and look how far I've come, and I've done all of this my way. Like, I don't need your worked. help. Right. <laughs> Like there's an alternative way. Right. And yeah, it took me a long time. So you endured relationship with someone who for a long, really long time kept missing it. Yeah. Well, I don't know that it was just me seeing it and enduring, thinking like it's going to eventually she'll get it because that's like the reverse <laughs> of what you just said. Yeah. I think in the midst of it, it's, you know, a lot of times just like I have no idea what's actually going on like what the hell's happening here mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting that when you're talking about the patterns and how like you have a strong need to like step into the conflict and like we're going to work this out and we're going to match energy and then that to me feels like why are you what are you doing why are you trying to destroy the this relationship like by mm-hmm. coming at it like this and so then I withdraw mm-hmm. um, and then the withdraw amp- amps up your you know survival strategy of like pushing in and then mm-hmm. there's more withdrawal and so it is that like really helpful in terms of identifying what the different patterns are and what their motivations are and how to see one another not that any sort of like anything like the Enneagram or the personality patterns don't define who a person right. is but they're helpful categories and starting points to be like oh you are a completely different human than me right and you see the world in a very different way and it's not better or worse it's just experience it like your whole experience of life Mm -hmm. even if you shared every story of mine like your experience of it Mm -hmm. would be different absolutely yeah yeah i mean that's almost like how i think about our daughters you know like three daughters that have the same parents and they show up in the world very differently they're all having like relatively the same experience in terms of the context they're in but how they view it experience it feel it and respond to it are so very different i always say the stories they tell their therapists will (laughs) all be so different (laughs) they'll tell different versions of the same stories someday i'm sure yeah absolutely so if you're listening to this podcast and you want to donate to our children's future therapy fund (laughs) i'll have a link in the uh in the notes afterward (laughs) perfect 
Yeah. Well, and I think you've also said before, like our parents or our children haven't actually had the same parents. And that no. struck me. So say more about what you mean about that. Well, I think, you know, as first time parents, and I don't want to make a general blanket statement, but I know that a lot of people might relate to this if you have, if, you know, if you've had kids, what it's like when you f- have your first. And um, that for me, I had a ton of anxiety. I worried about getting it right, um, keeping her safe. She, we had a little bit of trauma early on because she got sick a few. She was a few weeks old and ended mm-hmm. up in the hospital, which I think I, I was okay until that point. And then I sort of just felt afraid of the world for her, um, and then af- afraid that I wasn't going to be good enough at this gig. Like mm-hmm. it didn't come naturally, and I thought that it would. Um, and so there was such a learning curve and such pressure and such an expectation um, that I think she was raised feeling. I mean, I know she was raised feeling all of that. Yeah, her container was made up of, of all those feelings for you. And, and I mean, I think for me it was, it was more of that enduring pattern of like – probably lots of things I didn't even want to see or acknowledge. And so just keep going next day, next day, getting through those early years. And um, so there's like, we both contributed to, to a container that was, you know, not, there's nothing, there's no shame around this. I mean, I think it's normal for first time parents, but we brought something into the container because it was our first time doing it. That hasn't been in the same container for, you know, the second two. Well, yeah. And then, we had a second and I think the most the biggest contrast is obviously between the first and the third Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to acknowledge our middle child because (laughs) I know sometimes they don't get acknowledged Kirby we We love you you. we see you baby (laughs) (laughs) Um, but in terms of how we've evolved as parents like our third the choice that like the kids diet for example like she eats things that at four and a half, like Lila had never even tried till mm. much older. Oh, and just do you remember like wiping down every surface all the time with Lila? You know, when she we would go out to a restaurant, we'd have oh, like these like wipes, place not Clorox, because those weren't clean enough. But like, <laughs> we did we and like these special seats that she'd sit in, and we were gonna make sure no germs ever touched her. And now like. With Paxton, like food falls on the floor. We're like, five second rule. You're good. Go ahead. Totally. <laughs> totally. And I, you know, our kids are who they are and they're born just completely, they're different mm-hmm. naturally and just who they are yeah. and how they were made is totally different. Even if the container could somehow be exactly the same for all three, exactly. the three would still be different. And I can see that, there, you know, obviously there's some impact mm. of being raised in one container versus a different. Now their response to it, of course, would be unique to each of them, too. So mm-hmm. talk about greatest teachers. Yeah. Children. Yeah. Yep. Those are some big ones. Mm-hmm. I, was t- I don't remember who I was talking to the other day. So if you're listening and it's you, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um but I was talking about how my, you know, just how often I realize like my own inner child is often the one in relationship with my kids. Like my inner 10 year old is the one arguing with Lila about something or is, you know, interacting with Kirby or Paxton. And, you know, like, I'm like, what is even going on? It almost sort of feels like a subtle out of body experience where you're like your adult self is somewhere watching going wait what what is happening here reel it in reel like, it in you've gone I, too far <laughs> i thought i was the grown-up and right. now, and now i'm like debating over some silly thing and mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's not productive right like yeah. i'm contributing to the to the problem here like i'm not actually helping mm-hmm. um and to realize like wow like what uh what a powerful mirror children can be to just show us our own faces and and deeply buried parts of ourself like Mm -hmm. you know I mean Lila is very you know she's she's got a strength to her and she's got a certainty like she knows exactly what she wants in the world she's not afraid to ask for it and she goes after it and (laughs) doesn't take no for an answer Mm -hmm. you know and all things that I think are are going to serve her really well in life you know as she continues to grow up and 
Um, but there's a real piece in me that resists all of that because that's the exact opposite of my experience growing up. I never knew what I wanted or what I felt, or I was always trying to tend to everybody else in my environment and not even knowing that I'm doing that, but just like very um, outwardly focused. And, um, and so there's this like way that my inner child is battling Lila, like, well, there's no way in hell you're getting this because I didn't get that one, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I'm not even thinking that. That's not a thought going through my mind. It's just how I end up discovering myself showing up somehow. And it's just so strange and like surreal in those moments when I guess it's fortunate, like a fortunate thing to catch those moments because then can actually work with it somehow but mm-hmm. probably back. happens more times than I'd like to admit well and come back around like you've said someone said it to you so if you know who it is give them a shout out <laughs> but that whole um rupture and repair who is that is that Winnicott oh, like, I good, don't enough, know. I, good enough good enough oh yeah parent? yeah Winnicott was a good enough good enough mother no, I, someone said to you at some point like a, you know to give a child the most well-rounded experience like if if they never saw or witnessed or ex- like were a part of any ruptures oh yeah, yeah, yeah then yeah. they never have the opportunity to experience a repair and right. so you s- send them out into the world and if they get into conflict or there are ruptures like they will not have the skills to navigate it and so i don't yeah. know it makes me because f- i feel like i'm constantly coming back around saying oh i'm so sorry girls like <laughs> this happened and i you know I wish that it didn't, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me, you know, and hoping that whoever said that line is true and, and it was a, right. I, I think it so. is true as I'm remembering like where I heard that. I was at a, at a lecture, um, it was probably right after we first moved here. It was uh, like a neuroscientist mm. slash psychologist, like he was kind of both. He had written a book, um, I can't remember his name now. But he was talking about how in in the nervous system, in order to build resilience in the self, like there needs to be ruptures and repairs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that like it it has two extremes where um, like some kids grow up in a home where there's constant ruptures, but never any repairs because Mm -hmm. the the parent, for whatever reason, um, doesn't see it, doesn't have the capacity to take ownership of like oh that was actually my stuff mm-hmm. and I dumped it on you and uh, to actually have a, a conversation about what happened in a way that can repair the rupture and so in that situation a child's left with feeling like they're just a horrible being that right. it gets them deeply embedded that like all the things that are wrong in the world are my fault my somehow fault. Yeah. Um, and then you have like the other extreme where um, some kids live in a way that's like completely, you know, protected, protected from any from real any, any, yeah. human experience. There's yep. no and ruptures. We're just going to pretend like mm-hmm. everything is perfect. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and they enter into adulthood with um, sort of a fragility in their nervous system because there's never been any ruptures. Mm-hmm. And so when they experience just the normal turbulence of, of being an adult in the world, they, it can that can easily collapse them and so then there's a lot of work around like how do I actually now begin to build resiliency in my nervous system so that I can be present in the world and so the idea was like it's the ruptures and the repairs together that create resiliency and um, and like he was saying something about how um, oh where did it go I lost the thought Oh, oh, this was it. Something like um, if there's a rupture and a repair and a parent can recognize, you know, I mean, be a parent and set your boundaries and have limits and all that kind of stuff. But if you can realize the moments where you brought more of, of a charge from your own past into this relationship and you can work on that and heal that with your kid and take responsibility and say, like, I'm really sorry, like I showed up in a way that I'm not proud of and and you don't have to hold that that's mine and mm-hmm. and then talk about like how did how did that did feel to you? you and yeah. um that does a couple of things like one it it tells the the child like I don't have to own somebody else's shit mm-hmm. and it also tells them when it's my shit I should take responsibility for it and mm-hmm. so those two things are really powerful in terms of like human formation like show up in the world as 
a, a solid individual who doesn't need to take responsibility for other people's stuff, but does need to take responsibility for your own stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's a, I think that's a good way to live in the world, but that's a hard thing to get to. Yeah. And in a container where it's that whole experience is supported and we love you, you can mess up and you're still loved. Mm-hmm. And we all like, I mess up, you mess up, we mess up. And sort of letting kids witness it and be a part of that part of humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important. And certainly not something I'm always doing well, that's for sure. But I mean, I think we both have our own, we have good days and we have less, less than good days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. But back to your Winnicott idea, like we just have to be good enough. Right. I'll never forget like my therapist that I had a while back was telling me like I was talking about parenting and how hard it is and how I need to start a therapy fund for my kids. I'm sure I'm just like messing them up horribly. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, you know, I, I really think that the research shows that you just need to be getting it right like 33% of the time and they'll they'll turn out pretty pretty good they'll be functional adults and be pretty resilient and I was like what 33% of the time I was like I'm at least hitting 35% pretty consistently so. yeah then we had conversations around like okay 33% of the time that's like one of the kids so we just need to get it right with one of the kids or you know three... that would be one kid 100% of the time <laughs> yeah or how many days a year or how many yeah yeah, 33% of the time definitely seems more manageable than if you're trying to be perfect all the time. Yeah, and I, like the sort of the paradox of trying to be perfect is that in the attempt to be perfect, you're probably inflicting more harm exactly. than, than you're aware of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I own the imperfection in a way that is honest and loving and mm-hmm. circles back to situations when needed? Yep. Hmm. It'll be fun someday to have conversations with the kids when they're adults and to just, if they're willing, you know, to ask questions about how they remember things and to be able to share, like, you know, if love was communicated only in how much we worried about you and we worried about our parenting and we worried about how you would turn out, like, then of course you would know that you're loved. But Hmm. love isn't always, you know spoken in that language but we we certainly spend a lot of time and energy and ourselves trying to figure it out yep mm-hmm. yeah there they'll probably be adults and be like no i'm i'm so done talking about my feelings and all this stuff <laughs> I spent my whole childhood talking about my feelings i don't want to do it anymore <laughs> <laughs> i remember one time my mom um trying to help a little bit I had asked for help with Lila. She was little, and we were all about, like, leave space for her feelings. So it's just like, how does this make you feel? You know, and she didn't even be three, four, I don't know. <laughs> and my mom was like, honey, I can't remember exactly how she said it, but it was something along the lines of, honey, you know, Lila seems a lot like how your brother was when he was little. And I think sometimes, like, to just be a little more clear and directive, she might respond more. Because if you're talking to her about, like, she's supposed to be feeling a lot of stuff, she might think she has to pretend to have all these feelings that maybe she doesn't (laughs) have. And again, it comes back to, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, my version of the world Mm -hmm. is not everyone else's. And I, you know, if someone said that to me, like, Angela, you think that everybody sees the world the way that you do. I would have never said that that's true. Mm-hmm. Like I cognitively and in my head, I'm like, of course that's not true. Like I've lived a different life. Like people have different experiences, um, different cultures. That they, like all of those things would have been obvious to mm-hmm. me. Um, but at this sort of like unconscious level of how I relate, it's it's the lens through which I see the world. So it's kind of the lens through which I see everything. Mm-hmm. And having to be aware enough to sort of own the fact that, like, this is my primary lens. Mm. And maybe I can sort of lift it. And, like, the awareness of it is hopefully enough to sort of say that, like, I have space for yours, too. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, 
Even though I think it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you're doing it wrong and you're less efficient, um, your way is different. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ooh, that's funny. No. Hmm. Well, I'm... I know you said you didn't want to talk too much about it unless it came up naturally, but I'm actually really interested in your life right now and what you happen to be doing with it. Like you recently. You're interested as if you don't know. Well, I want to talk <laughs> about it. I want. Okay. I want to hear more. Um, yeah, like obviously I know, but nobody else that's listening knows. Like you recently left a job that you were at for over a decade in sort of the finance world and and working with numbers and computers and and you're entering into something new so tell us about the something new Hmm. yeah i worked in finance for over a decade at a job that helped provide stability for our family for a Mm -hmm. long time and really was my first Felt like my first real gig. Um, I would call it a career. You did for, it for over yeah, a decade. Yeah, career. But it, I started it relatively early on. Like mm-hmm. I was in undergrad, went straight into grad school, finished grad school, was a therapy and community health for a very short period of time, um, and then made this shift because the therapy world, especially in community mental health, felt unpredictable and immeasurable and very stressful. Mm -hmm. Then we were pregnant with Lila, and I was looking for something that was a little bit more black and white and easy to control and predict. And so got into finance, um, which then grew into something more and greater, and I learned a ton about leadership and managing a team and hiring people. And it was my favorite part was always the people, Mm -hmm. like finding the right people, um, training, figuring out what are your gifts? How can I help you find a, a, you know, a role that really fits your life and what you want? And I loved who I worked with and it was really great. And then. And it's worth saying, like in the whole time that you worked there and you, you built this team from the ground up in terms of like the West Michigan team Mm -hmm. and like almost no turnover in a decade, maybe like one or two people, which is really remarkable. Yeah, I felt pleased and proud Mm -hmm. of that and, um, yeah, really grateful. But there was probably like eight or nine years in when I just started to feel like there was more work for me. And there was never a dissatisfaction with my other career like it it was more than comfortable Mm -hmm. um I worked from home I could be available for the kids when I needed to Uh, but there was just this stirring in my soul and I think anybody who's listening who has experienced it knows exactly what I'm talking about Mm. Um, but it is hard sometimes to put words to if you haven't experienced it and I just kept finding like there's there's more I have more to do and I need to know what it is Mm. it's with people and it's and like I knew that there was something with helping people but I didn't want to be a therapist Mm -hmm. like I was very clear like yeah I have my master's degree in it but it's it's not really my gifts like Mm -hmm. I'm not gifted in the same way that I would say you are um in that kind of work and relational space but at the same time, my my soul is very much for that. And um, a lot of my gifts are, like, I feel like they would be in some kind of similar role. I just mm-hmm. didn't know what it was. Um, yeah. Well, and it's, it's really striking to hear you talk about, like, the stirring in the soul and how you left a career for a vocation. Yeah. And like vocation really just, I mean, calling, like something mm-hmm. deep within you was calling. That's exactly how it felt. It sounds so cheesy, but I bawled my way through <laughs> Frozen 2 because <laughs> <laughs> Elsa, I felt like was experiencing like a much more dramatized, you know, Disney version, but of what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Of Like there's something out here 
Um, and I, I mean, I am a believer in God. I'm deeply spiritual. And it felt like something like that going mm-hmm. like, hey, there's more for you mm-hmm. here. Um, I hesitate saying it that way because I also loved my other career. Like yeah. there is, there was a deep grief that even sometimes now, like it'll catch me where I'll just start crying because I, I can't believe it's gone. Yeah. And yet I know in my bones and in my being that I made the right decision. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, like I think something about that, like that there, it wasn't like you left a horrible situation that you hated. Mm-mm. And I think to me, that's what speaks to like the sense of calling. Like mm-hmm. it was something deeper than that. Like um, that would, would, I don't know, inspire you, move you, compel you, mm-hmm. almost like you don't have a choice but to move towards it, mm-hmm. even though you don't even didn't know what it is, what it is. I, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's that, a, like a beingness in you that's like trying to be born and, and have yeah. an expression in the world. Yeah, it's true. I didn't, I didn't know. And I, I'm more clear now than I was then. And that was probably last January. So about a year ago. Um, but even still, I feel like it's all still unfolding. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so much that I'm still waiting to become more clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I so I'm, for the people listening, I am a breathwork facilitator. I do somatic therapy. Say what, say what oh. each of those things are. Okay. Um, a breathwork practitioner. Is that what you said? Yeah, or facilitator. Facilitator. Yeah, so... What is breath work? Because everybody has breath. Exactly, right? It's true. Um, There, so you can adjust your breathing in different patterns to create different experiences, both in your, like, your body and your nervous system and your mind. So what I practice is, it's conscious breath, like a connected conscious breathing, similar to holotropic breath work, where there's no pausing in the breathing. It's very circular. And what it can do is help access then a, a non-ordinary state of consciousness where it helps people sort of slip out of that cognitive overthinking, um, egoic brain cycle to um, drop into what the body's experiencing. Um, it can be very spiritual. It can be deeply healing in terms of where we store and hold trauma in our body, mm. physical trauma, emotional trauma, um, even shock trauma, and to sort of help utilize the breathing to then access the nervous system, the, like a normal rise and fall pattern of the nervous system to build a charge, and then to release that energy, whether you're releasing it through emotion or movement or expression of any kind um, to sort of really create more space in your body. Um, mm-hmm. Most of us carry so much around and we just become used to it. Like we don't right. even realize that we have all this stuff weighing us down. Um, well, and, and I think the the breath work is so powerful too because it's, I mean, it's, if you've never heard of this before, it's not like, um, the deep breathing exercises that your, you know, third grade teacher told you to do when you got worked up, like it's intense. Like it's, it, it can be very intense in terms of, I guess you can moderate it to however sure. it feels best. But like the times that I've, I've done it, it's almost like that non-ordinary state of consciousness th- idea is like, it's almost like your body takes over. Mm-hmm. Like you're not thinking even about how your, your body's moving and, and for me, it's been relatively like slower or gentle movements, but it's like I was very aware, like I'm not necessarily moving my body. My body is moving me is mm-hmm. what it felt like. Yeah. And based on my own experience in healing and the things that have helped me heal, the like the deepest parts of me have been by getting into my body. Mm-hmm. Like I tried literally everything I mean I don't I think felt like (laughs) long journey of I called myself like a self-help junkie like give me any tip or trick or book or guru to like 
fix me? Like, what is the secret code that mm. seemingly other people know, but something I something out there that yeah, you don't that have. I couldn't figure it out, and it was all mental. Mm-hmm. Like it was all like, give me the information, and I'll analyze the information, and then I'll analyze myself, and then I'll come up with this perfect reason why I am the way that I am and why I suffer, so that I can get out of my own suffering. Mm. And I just kept like hitting my head up against a brick wall. It felt like mm-hmm. like I just couldn't get out of that and it wasn't until I signed up for the vitalist school and learned all kinds of embodiment practices and actually felt my body again and recognized like oh I I was trying to live my life with like from you know the chin up Mm -hmm. um, forgetting that I had all of this other this whole form carrying my soul around and I wasn't even mm-hmm. like communicating with it. Mm-hmm. So the breath work really helps get out of that mental state to see what the body's holding. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And now you are really involved in the Vitalist School. So, I am, yeah. So for people listening who have no idea what the Vitalist School means, can you say a little bit about that? Yeah. So in Grand Rapids, there is it's called the Vitalist Institute of. Um, psycho-spiritual transformation and under that is we have an online membership where there are lots of different online breathwork classes embodiment classes um, all from trauma-informed facilitators to help provide a safe way for people at home to do some of their own inner work this way Um, and then there are also several of us practitioners who meet with clients one-on-one we have retreats that we do breathwork retreats and then kind of the the big thing is the school and it's a nine-month program for it's most specifically designed for practitioners or therapists people who are already stepping into this healing work with other people um, to help learn new tools to go even deeper Um, but when I signed up I was just looking for help for Mm -hmm. myself like I had at that point no intention of stepping into work one-on-one with people. Um, and it has just unfolded so beautifully outside of my own. Um, you didn't plan this awareness. out. I didn't plan it and I didn't force it, which usually usually I try to force things my way and this has just sort of <laughs> unfolded. And um, super grateful, very humbled, because I feel like for me one of the biggest challenges is having to face my ego over and over again in the sense that like I feel pretty new like every Mm -hmm. time I step out to teach a class I'm still new enough at it Mm -hmm. that it doesn't just feel like I can go on autopilot yeah Um, there's there's no on off switch for this work it's like always evolving and unfolding and yeah and so my number crunching and my you know my previous career was like perfect in the sense that it was measurable. It was, I knew when I got it wrong Mm -hmm. or I knew how to get it right. And I had done it for so long that I didn't feel all this like nervous energy around having to step out into something and potentially not be perfect at it right Mm -hmm. away, you know? And so my nervous system has (laughs) definitely experienced, um, a lot of opportunities to build resilience for sure (laughs) this Mm -hmm. last year. Well, it's, it's been really inspiring for me to watch um, and to be, you know, a part of in, in the way that I am in our, in our relationship. Um, but it's, I guess I want to say for the record, like, um, how much gratitude I have for how you did kind of hold, hold our, our world in a way, like with your first career, like, that there was something very practical and useful about you having that steady, consistent um, source of income and all of that that really freed me up in a lot of ways to to follow what was coming alive in my own soul, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, still had its, like, sense of, like, this is 
feels crazy. I don't know if we should do this feeling, you know, all along the way. But like there was a, another part of me that was like, it's okay to take some risks because I, I know like we're going to be okay because Angela has this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know that I would have felt as free to take the risks that, that we've been able to take um, to build Mindful Counseling GR and um, into what it is now, which is, is an amazing thing. Like I wake up every day and can't believe I get to be a part of something like this. And so um, I just feel really grateful to you for how you've, how you've helped make that happen um, in ways that a lot of times were unseen or unknown, um, and, but had a huge impact. Mm-hmm. So that's part one. Part two, it's like, it feels so wonderful to see this thing coming alive in your, your soul, this sense of calling or um, spirit or life, whatever is stirring in there that is, is asking for expression and, and to see you stepping into something that is kind of unformed in some ways and is brand new and is um, new territory. Like it's not mapped out. You don't have a five-page plan on what it's going to look like, all these things, and yet you keep taking one step after another, and you've been doing that for the last couple of years and so it's it's beautiful to see the evolution of that and um, to see the different ways that other parts of you are coming alive and and feeling energized and and afraid and all the other (laughs) things that come with it but um, yeah it's just thank you it's goodness to to bear witness to thank you I appreciate those words and I've felt your support all along like if you couldn't share the vision with me or believe in me to some extent, I don't know that I would have stepped into the abyss in the same way, Hmm. but I knew I wasn't doing it alone. So Hmm. thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's interesting to think of again, going full circle back to where we started, like this idea of our pathologies drew us together. Um, maybe that's true on some level, but it's like our our psyches and deep soul part of us was had a different plan, totally. um, and it's not finished, obviously. Like, but it feels different. Like something other than our pathologies was at play in terms of how our life continues to unfold and mm-hmm. um, move forward. And so, I definitely feel. Like for both of us that there is this sense and I don't know that we always had it so clearly as we do now mm. but this sense of like we both want each other and ourselves to be the fullest expression mm-hmm. of, of each of ourselves right like um, and I think that in and of itself is the foundation of our relationship and the thing that makes the, I mean, it, it, the thing that makes, could make or break it, mm-hmm. you know, because if I didn't feel not only your support, but the fact that you can also see my future in this way, mm-hmm. you know, like I haven't had to convince you, like, but I promise this will be good. Like I can mm-hmm. see it. You, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's just, even though neither of us really can see it clearly, like it's unforming still mm-hmm. or forming unfolding still. Um, but just that you fully like are for me. Mm-hmm. And that's like, what do I believe to be true? That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Like you are for me and I am for you. Like, I, you know, I don't want to divorce you. But if it ever happened, I still think that that would still be true. Mm -hmm. Like if that had to happen, we're for each other. And if somehow that's what, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, what's that Bazan line we always joke about? (laughs) I would never divorce you without a good reason. And though I may never have to, it's good good to have have options. options. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes when we're irritated with each other, we might rattle that off a bit in jest. No, that's it's well said. Um, I f- like I don't have anything to add to that. That just feels true. I was gonna say it, it. What's funny is we're like 14 years in, and it doesn't feel like we've arrived anywhere. It 
still feels like it's just continuing to unfold and like mm-hmm. i guess the older i get at least the more convinced i am that that's what life is it's an, a constant unfolding to something and mm-hmm. um and a surrendering yeah a surrendering to the unfolding yeah yep hmm. that's good well anything else you want to add before we pause for today Mm -hmm. thanks for having the conversation and letting me be a part of your life and you choosing to be a part of mine yes absolutely and same to you um i will put information about how people can get in touch with you in the show notes um, if they're interested in learning about breathwork or the vitalist institute um, or any of those other things that are being offered there so i will do that all right i love love you you. (laughs) well there you have it thank you so much for listening to my conversation with my wife angela nixon and i hope there was something in this episode that i don't know stood out to you that something of the complexity of what relationships are jumps off the page and I don't, when I reflect on the conversation, I'm really just thinking about what a mirror relationships are for us to see deeper into our own deep parts that are often not fully aware to us and that it actually requires the presence of another for us to see ourselves better. Um, so anyway, I hope that there's something in there for you and appreciate you taking the time to listen. <laughs>